All right, it's good to be in the house of the Lord, amen? How many is excited to be here today? Yeah. All right. So, hey, I just, uh, my name is Chris uh, Pollard. I am the youth pastor here at Crossroads, and uh, it's such an honor and privilege to uh, stand before you. And uh, I did this in the first service, and I'm just so thankful today for our senior pastors, Pastor Chad and Pastor Don. Let's give it up for them. They're just incredible people. And, uh, and I'm just so thankful that, that we have a pastor that would be willing to share the pulpit and share the platform. Amen. I mean, that's just such good, good stuff. So um, just a, a little bit about me. And uh, if you put up that first slide there, uh, that's my family. You know, they said, I said in the first service, I'll say it again, that behind every or beside every good man, there is a and a lot of kids. <laughs> uh, my daughter, oldest daughter is Lily and Allie and uh, Jude down there and Liam. I don't know what he's doing, but um, so we're just so thankful for him and then baby Stella there. Uh, she's just resting in her mother's arms. So uh, that's my family and I'm just so thankful for them and I'm thankful for my extended family here at Crossroads as well. So, hey, we're going to get right into the word today and the title of this message is called In God We Trust. In God We Trust. Anybody ever seen that before? All right, anybody ever seen it on a, car, on a license plate or maybe you've seen it on something else that we carry around with us on a daily basis, amen? So turn with me to the book of Matthew chapter 6. We're going to jump right into Matthew chapter 6, yeah. All right, we're just going to let God's word just penetrate our hearts and, and do some amazing things. God does some great things in first service and he's going to do some great things in this service as well. And uh, so we're going to start here in Matthew chapter 6, verse 25. He says, therefore... Uh, I say to you, do not worry. That's all the message we got for today. Thank you. <laughs> so he says, do not worry about your life. Do not worry about what you're going to eat. Do not worry about what you're going to drink. Do not worry about your body. And he says, do not worry about what you're going to put on. I said this in the first service and uh, say it again that last night I was thinking about this and, and uh, I found myself thinking and worrying about what I was going to wear today. Yes, I really did. I was thinking about what am I going to wear tomorrow? And I'm looking through my closet and all these things that I never wear, I'm thinking that will be the one that I'll wear tomorrow on, on Sunday. So then I asked my wife, I said, what do you think I should wear? And my wife started picking out these things and then I started putting them back in the closet. Because <laughs> my taste and her taste just didn't match up. But then I decided, I got up this morning, I said, you know what? The Lord began to stop me and say, you're worried about the very thing that you're going to be speaking on tomorrow. So I'm worried about what I'm going to wear. So anyways, so here we are. I just got up, put the first thing on, and here we are today. So he says, don't worry about your body. Don't worry about what you're going to put on. And then he says that life is more than food and the body and more than clothing. That's what he says. And Jesus wasn't saying in this passage of Scripture, he wasn't saying that life doesn't matter. There's no value or no worth to life. He wasn't saying that there's no value to food or, or drink or whatever or clothing. What he was saying was, is he was trying to get his followers and his disciples and people to understand that these things should not consume us, that the one thing that cons should consume us is him. And he was trying to get them to take their focus off of those things and put their focus on the one thing, which was him. So he goes on there in uh, verse 26, he said, look at the birds of the air, for they neither sow nor they reap nor gather in the barns, yet their heavenly father feeds them. I like that verse right there, that God already knows what we need before we even ask. We don't have to go out and sometimes work for it. God already knows what we need and deposit it. He's just waiting to deposit what we need in our account. 
if we'll be ready to open up to him. So he goes on there and he says that, are you not of more value than these things? Which of you by worrying can add one cubit to his height? He said, don't worry about these things. If you keep worrying, you're not gonna add one, one inch to your life if you keep worrying. So really it's not a message about gratification to worry. This is about a message of how we can master the life and overcome the life of worry through trusting in God. That's what it's about. It's about whenever we're able to rest in his promises and say yes and amen and not maybe. So he goes on and he says in verse 28, so you, why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. And yet I say to you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed or clothed like one of these. And he says in verse 30, now if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O ye of little faith. I like that part there. Therefore, in verse 31, therefore do not worry, saying what shall we eat, what shall we do, what shall we drink, what shall we wear? You know, that's what I find myself in life many times is I, I trying to answer the what shall I? What shall we? What shall we do? What shall we do here? What shall we do there? How shall we do this? What shall it look like? And all these things and all the details when God is not asking me to ask those questions, he's just wanting me to not embrace the problem, but to embrace the promise. And that's what God began to speak to me. That's what this message is really about. It's not necessarily about the, the fact that, that worry is going to be part of our life. It's more about us not embracing the problem that worry brings and embracing the promise that God has for our life. And then he goes on there and he says in verse 32, he says, for after all thing, these things, the Gentiles seek for your heavenly father knows that you need all these things. He knows. So I want to speak to you today that he knows what you need today. He knows your very need before you even ask him. He already knows what your need in your life. But then what I think this whole um, script and this whole context is actually hinging on is this one thing, whether how good that we do this very next thing is how well we set the stage for our life to not be able to worry about things. But he says here in the next verse in 33, he says, but seek first, seek first. I like that word. God just trying to, he's inviting me and he's been inviting. I believe he's inviting us into the reality that his kingdom is the first and foremost, the things that we should seek first. And he's saying, if you seek my kingdom and his righteousness, and he says, and all these things shall be added. But many times in my life, I found myself, 2017 has been, a, has been an incredible year of worry for me. I'm just being honest and transparent. Can we just all be transparent this morning? That 2017 has been a, has been a worrisome type of, of year for me. And I'm thinking that, God, what in 2018 can I grow in? What can I um, um, sow into, as pastor would say, sow into and then reap from in this next season? And I believe God began to talk to me about trust and trusting him in this next season to a measure and to a dimension that maybe I never trusted God because God said, Chris, it's not about what you say out of your mouth. You say that you trust me, but then your actions prove otherwise. You believe me for the big things, but you don't believe me for the basic things. You know what I'm saying? I mean, I'm just being real and honest up in here because that's the way God, and he says, but if you seek me first, the kingdom of God, you see, I said this, that the kingdom of God has not come by observation, but the kingdom of God is within inside of you. And if the kingdom of God is within inside of us, then we have the internal resource yes. to take care of the external problems. Yes. Yes. 
But many times I find myself going after the problem and he says, Chris, quit running to your problems and start embracing the promise. Because many times I go to the problem and I let the problems begin to consume my life. And what God is really saying to me is he's saying that, that, you, that you allow you the, the problems to consume your life so much that you won't be able to see and you will, be, you will be hesitant about receiving the promises that I have for you in your life. But we'll, if we focus more on the problem, then, we, then the promise becomes hazy in our life. But I want to have security in my life and knowing the promise. When Jesus set me free from, the, from all the powers of darkness, he set me free by his promise. I had a lot of problems in my life, but Jesus set me free because I embraced the promise. I didn't embrace the problems. I may have embraced them for a season, but whenever I found Jesus in my life, I began to know that there was a promise for me, and he bought me, and he saved me, and his blood washed me and cleansed me and made me whiter than snow. And that's God's promise. That's the promises of God. It's all in him. We'll get to that here in just a little bit. I got a little bit ahead of myself. But he says in his righteousness, look at this in the amplified version. I think it just really amplifies it out. He says, but seek or aim at. Aim at. You know, I was thinking about this as well. And I was thinking in my life when I first... um, got hired as a police officer, I, I uh, remember going to the firing line. I remember standing there with all these other people. And the first thing that they taught me was, if you have ever done any kind of firearms training or you've ever done any kinds of shooting, what's the one thing that the first thing they teach you is you got to have a good aim. Yes. You got to have sight alignment. You have to look through the sights because you can easily be distracted by what's on around you. You can easily be distracted by other things, but if you, don't, if you look through the sights, then you're only going to see your target. And I believe that's what God began to teach me through this, that if you will look through the sights and the lenses of the kingdom of God, then you will see the promises that I have for you. But if you look at the distractions and the worry and the anxiety of the world of life and all these things, then you'll never see the promise. All I got to say is the guy next to me had way more holes in his target than I had in mine. We'll talk about that later. <laughs> Good side alignment. We're going to aim, strive after. When, we, when the word means strive basically means to, to uh, make an effort to achieve something. Make effort to achieve something. Seek first. Strive after. Make an effort to achieve the kingdom of righteousness in your life. Make an effort, an effort to, achieve, to, to achieve his kingdom in your life and his promises. And then he goes on there. He said that his righteousness, his way of doing and being right. See, I think that's what God has beginning. He's been teaching me is, is, is to do. If I want to know what the right thing is for my life, then it's seeking his kingdom first and his righteousness his right living. It's not looking at the other things, allowing other things to dictate and validate who I am or where I'm going. It's seeking first his kingdom and his righteousness. But many times we focus on the added things. We want the added things first and then we want the kingdom just to fall into place. And God is saying, I want you to embrace what is inside of you, the kingdom of God first, and then everything else. If you're striving after it, you're making an effort to accomplish the promises that I have for your life. God has many promises for your life. He has a one promise for your life today. If you're here and you don't know about it, his name is Jesus. That's the first promise. So then he goes on. He says that, and then all these things taken together will be given you besides. 
Now, let's look at um, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, and I think that we'll find some things in here that will speak to us as well in 2 Corinthians chapter 1. We sung about this today, and God just really, really, really wants to take my trust. He wants to take our trust to the next level, to another dimension. Because trust means that you're able to secure something. You're able to rest in something. If you say that you have trust, then the thing that you say you have trust in, you're able to rest in. Nothing else is going to be distracting to you. Nothing else is going to move you or shake you because you're resting in the one thing. He says, for all the promises, and I like what he says there in that verse. He says, all the promises, it's plural. All the promises of God. All the promises of God, the creator, in him. If you look back in verse 19, you'll see that the word him is actually referring to Jesus Christ. That for all the promises of God are sealed up into one man named Jesus Christ. They are yes, they're not maybe, they are yes, they're not, I'm not sure, but they are yes and amen. That's what they are. For to the glory of God through us. But many times, we, we, when we focus on the promises of God, we're not able to say, we don't really say yes, but we say we might or we may be. But we got to learn, we got to discipline ourselves to be able to say yes and amen. Yes and amen. But if we allow the external things and the problems to distract us, that's what that, that word was saying. When Jesus was saying, therefore, do not worry, he was actually saying, do not be perpetually uneasy. That's what he was saying, or anxious about this life. That's what he was saying, to be anxious about this life. Now, I know that Christmas is coming, and Christmas, man, let me tell you, it can stir up all kinds of worry. It can stir up all kinds of worry. It can stir up all kinds of things, all right? So I'm just thinking, how can I be very secure and concrete in the promises? That way I don't focus on the problem, and the problem doesn't move me. But I'm settled, and I'm resting in God. You see, part of knowing the promises of God is, is, is being able to rest in what he says. Pro, part, of the pro, pro, part of the process of knowing the, of the promises is being able to rest in what he says that he can actually do for our lives. You know, coaching the, um, the seventh grade girls basketball team, that's been a treat. I absolutely love it. <laughs> the first time I went to a away game, that was very good. Getting off that bus, man, I'm telling you. Yeah, it was very good. Now I know why, now I know why no one else uh, applied for that position, right? I love those girls. They're awesome. But hey, listen, um, one of the things that um, we teach our girls is, is uh, you know, one of the things in basketball, a basketball team will really um, do this at the end of the game or whenever they're down or they're feeling defeated, they will press you and they'll put a press on you. So they'll basically press you. They could press half court or they can press full court. And one of the things that we teach our girls is we teach them to be patient in the press. We teach them to take your time in the press. Let the ball, let everything just settle and just don't be shaken by what's happening out there. And then we teach them and we coach them and we, we design plays around the press. We design these plays around the press, and then we will work on those plays in practice. And sometimes in the game, in the very first game, it was like, did we ever practice this? <laughs> Coaches, you know what I'm talking about. But what I tell them is, is don't be shaken because you already know what to do in this type of situation. And the first thing is, is just rest and know that, hey, you've been equipped. You've been empowered 
to get through this. But you got to practice it. You got to keep striving to accomplish it. You got to keep aiming at it. I'm not being distracted by what the other team's doing. I'm going to be going for that one thing of what God is saying that I need to do. So as I've really been thinking about trust in my life and, and how I can grow in that area, the word trust simply means that, and here's what, I'm just going to give you a, a couple of definitions. The word trust means confidence. That's the first thing. Remember what it said in that song, for all the promises of God, that we will have confidence in his faithfulness. Confidence. I just feel like that, God, that there's some people in here that, that lack confidence this morning, and God wants to reassure that you have the confidence, not in the external resources, but the internal resource. The internal resource of who you are is the confidence that you have in what you can do. If you look at the external resources to be able to do what you can do in life, you'll be disappointed. But if you look to the internal resources of confidence in him and his promises, then you will know what you need to do and how to do it with your life. And he says there that, that, that uh, it also means in this Webster's Dictionary, it defines it as reliance. Get this, reliance of resting of the mind. It's a confidence of resting of the mind. How many know that, that probably our worst enemy or greatest enemy is probably between these two things right here? Maybe you're more spiritual than I am, but that's where I'm at in life. That the greatest things that I face right here is probably right up here. My, my greatest distraction is right here. It's not really the things out here. I always want to blame the things over here and blame these things to be the, the worry of my problem, but really it's right in through here because if I can ever get my mind to be transformed and know, what, know who I am in Jesus Christ and know what the word of God and the scripture says about who I am and what I can do, then I won't be conformed to the pattern of anything. I'll be conformed to the likeness and to the transforming and the renewing of my mind. Because I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not conformed to any kind of pattern or any other lifestyle than the lifestyle that Jesus Christ has already ordained me to live. Because the kingdom of God is within sight of me. And I'm settled. I got to be settled in that. I have to be settled in all his promises. So reliance, confidence, and resting of the mind. The Bible would actually describe this word trust as being bold or a, to have a place of rest. When it talks about being, you see, I don't think that just, just Abraham, when God told Abraham to leave his country and to leave his folks and, and to leave all the people around him to go to the country to embrace the promise, I don't think that Abraham just had faith. I think that Abraham had trust. I think that, that Abraham trusted in the promise as well of what God said. Abraham trusted in the word. If you want stability in the promise, then you have to know what God's word says. It's the word that, that, that will speak life into your life that will help you to embrace the promise that God has already ordained for you. It's the word. So he spoke the word. He spoke the word to Abraham. It was the, it was the word that I believe Abraham was trusting in. Because many times in my life, I always want to figure out God. I mean, God says, Chris, you have selective trust. That's what he told me. It doesn't mean that I'm not saved. It doesn't mean that I'm not on my way to heaven. It's just that I want to be a better follower of Jesus Christ, and I really want to be settled in the promise that he has made me to be. 
I don't want to be distracted by these, these things that, are just, that just pop up every once in a while I don't, or worry about these things. I want to be able to know that I know that I know that whenever they do come, that they're not going to shake me, they're not going to rattle me, and where I'm going is where I'm going, and I'm not going to have no detours in my life, and I'm not going to have no setbacks in my life because of what I don't know. I already know. I got to be settled in that. That's what one word it says, to be bold to be secure, to be secure. You know, faith is the substance of things hoped for. It's the evidence of things not seen. I believe that trust is another link to faith because I believe that trust actually takes it to another level. When we only hope for something, I believe that trust actually secures what we're hoping for. I believe that when God speaks, and we're having faith for a situation, I believe that we release our trust in God. We release our trust not in the situation, not that job's gonna get, not that God's gonna give me, I don't release my trust in the new job opportunity. I don't release my trust in, in whatever area that may be in your life, but I'm releasing my trust in what God says in his word. That's what I'm releasing my trust into. I'm having faith. I'm hoping for this and my expectation is really great and I'm really expecting this to really happen, but I need some security in my life. I need to know that I know that what I'm hoping for is gonna come to pass. So that means then I have to embrace the promise and I have to be secure. That's one of the words that trust actually means in the Bible. It means to be secure. You can go through the Bible from the front to the back and you'll see examples after examples that people were really secure in their faith, but they were also secure in the trust in God. They say, God, I don't know what it's going to look like, and we have selective trust, so we always want to figure God out. We want to figure it out first. I always want God to give me the details first. Don't give me the promise. Just give me the details, and then we'll talk about the promise later. I think sometimes that's the way we are. That's the way I am in my life. Sometimes I want to know the details. I want to figure out God first. And sometimes we have selective trust because we base and we measure our trust based on our past experiences. We base our trust not only on our past experiences, but sometimes we base our trust on someone else's past experiences. If God can do it for them, then God can do it for me. If God didn't do it for them, then God can't do it for me. But sometimes we base our trust in God based on our past experiences. And the next thing we base our trust on is his performance. God's, he is a performer. He works, he works performing miracles, but I don't think that God is really interested in us looking at him as a performer. I think that God is looking at us looking for us to look at him as someone that has the promise. He wants to perform miracles in our life. He is a performer in some areas, but I think God, we don't, he don't want us to always just gauge how we trust him based on his performance. Because sometimes things in your life may be a little while before you actually receive the, what he's actually wanting you to have. Sometimes there's a waiting period whenever you're casting your faith, you're releasing your faith for something. There's things I'm believing for. There's things I've been believing for years to happen, and they still hadn't come to pass yet. That doesn't mean that I give up. That just means that, hey, I'm just trusting God. I'm resting in that area of my life. I haven't arrived yet. I'm trying to get there. I'm trying to get there. 
But trust is something that we don't just speak, but something that we actually, that comes from the inside out. And we secure it in based on what God says and what his word is. You know, when we talk about worry, and we talk about just some anxiety and things, I remember this story in the Bible that, that is a very powerful story. It's about Mary and Martha. And I remember that Jesus was coming to their house. And I remember that they were so, like, I can't remember if it was Mary or um, one of them, anyways, was so consumed with all of the things. Martha was consumed with everything that had to happen. All the details but Mary chose the one thing to sit at the feet of Jesus. And the one, thing that she heard, the one thing that she did was she didn't do a lot of talking. She did a lot of listening. She listened to the word. The word of God, the word that he spoke was so powerful to her. She didn't have to say anything about any distractions. But she was being secure in her promises because the word was speaking. But the other one. Martha was so distracted, but Mary, she chose the first thing. Seek first the kingdom of God. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Seek first the kingdom of God for your marriage. Seek first the kingdom of God for your finances. That's something I'm trying to do in my own life. I'm trying to seek first. One of the pivoting points of my life was not whenever I just had faith in God, but when I began to trust God. That was a pivoting point in my life when I began to be able to trust God. Because how many know that it's hard to trust someone that you don't know anything about? And that if you trust someone that you don't know much about, the next thing that's going to happen, it's not going to be good. It can end not the best. But when you trust someone that you know, when you trust someone that you know, and you know what he says about you, and you know what he says about your life, when you trust this, then you can trust him. You trust him, this, and you can rest in his promises. This thing is full of promises, but all the promises are wrapped up in one thing, not a thing. It's in a man named Jesus Christ. All the promises are wrapped up and tied up in this one thing, and that one thing that we seek after, that we aim for, that we strive for to make an effort. So I just want to, uh, again, just encourage you with this. And God began to speak to me about selective trust. He said that many times you would say that you trust me, but you're guilty of a selective trust attitude. I believe that trust is actually like an attitude that we have to have. It's a character that we have to put on in our life. Here's some examples that God began to speak to me about. We may protect him. We may, we may trust God to protect us but we may not trust him to bring friends, new friends, and a spouse into our life. We may trust God for our financial needs, but we may not trust him to guide our decisions. We may trust him in big areas of our life, but we may not trust him in the basic areas of our life with food and clothing, all these things we think that he doesn't care even. We may trust him for something like a healing, but we may not trust him to give us the grace to endure suffering. We may trust him to give us healing, but we may not trust him to give grace in times of suffering to be able to endure it. God, his trust is not a partial trust. It's an all-inclusive trust. It's not a, a little bit of trust, but it's an all-inclusive. It's everything. He said in Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5, look at that today. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5, he says, trust 
confidence, rely, reliance in the Lord with all your heart. How much of your heart? All your heart. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, all your emotions, all your feelings, everything. Trust in the Lord and lean. See, I think that this is where this all kind of goes south for me in my life. As I, tr- I say that I trust the Lord with all my heart, but then I'm leaning. The word lean actually means to, to su- support, but I'm actually allowing something else to support my life. So I'm really not resting in the promises of God. I'm really not resting in him because I'm saying that I trust him and I'm saying that I have rest in him with all my heart, but I'm not leaning into his understanding for my life. I'm not allowing his understanding to support me. And I think that that's just something I'm trying to work out in my life is trusting him in a way that with all my heart and not allowing my understanding to dictate or validate what I believe about who he is. Because that's the one thing that we will try to talk ourselves out of. We'll try to talk ourselves because we'll only look to our own. It's not that God's not interested in our, in our intellectual understanding. It's not that he's not interested in, in us having understanding at all. It's just that he wants our, our, our understanding to be his understanding. He wants our support to be his support. His support to be our support. That's what he wants, to be, wants it to be. So I'm going to do just a little demonstration this morning. I didn't get to do this in the first service, but I'm going to, uh, I'm going to ask pastor to come. And this is a little demonstration that I, I really, I felt like that uh, it goes along with what we're talking about because we will never trust in somebody that we don't know anything about, that we don't have experiences about. And uh, so what I think that this looks like if you could just come over here, sir, please. Thank you. <laughs> but so with that, with that, we got this. With that thought in mind, and we're trusting the Lord with all of our heart. We're trusting the Lord. Good job. But the reason I did that was this, because it's not because I trust him as a person, necessarily. <laughs> but I know I've had experience with that trust, with, that, with this man. I've seen him in the gym. I've seen him work out. But I do trust him as a person. But I trust him because I've had experience with him. And we'll never trust something that we never have experience with. If you never have experience with God, you'll never trust him. If you never have encounters with God and never have encounters with the Holy Spirit, you never allow God, invite him into your life to just completely um, do what he wants to do in your life, then you won't have any valid trust in him because you don't know him and you don't experience him but I've had experience with him. I've seen what he can bench press. I've seen what he can squat. I know that he's strong. I know that he has strengths. It would have been a fluke if he would have dropped me. (laughs) But the more that we experience the presence of God, the more that we experience God in our life, the more that we know him, 
Paul said this, I want to know him. I think what Paul was saying was he said, I want to experience him. I don't just want to know about him, but I want to experience him. I want to know the power of his resurrection. I want to know the power of his suffering. I don't just want to know about it. I don't want to hear stories about it, but I want to experience it with my own life. And I think that's just a life lesson today that we want to experience this overwhelming sense of his promises in our life. But you see, there's a part to play when we trust God. There's a part to play. We can't say, Lord, I trust you in this situation. I trust you. You're gonna take care of it. I think that there's a time whenever we have to seek first the kingdom. I think there's sometimes we have to, we have to really get into the inner source of who we are. We have to go, we have to seek him first. We have to, to aim, we have to strive to accomplish that trust. Because let me tell you, there's so many things, outward things that can definitely dictate our trust in the Lord. There's so many things that come against us. You know, and, I, and it can't be like a Sunday morning thing that we just say, Lord, I trust you. I'm in the house of the Lord. And man, your presence is great. And I trust you. You got to trust him on Monday. You got to trust him on Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. You have to trust him every single day of your life. Every day that you have to trust in the Lord and with all your heart, with everything that's in you, there's another scripture that comes to mind that you will love the Lord, thy God, with all your might, with all your strength, with everything that is within you, you will love him. I think that we make that decision. That's, we, just, we choose whether we want to trust. We just say, Lord, I'm, I'm hoping for this situation, but I'm asking what I'm inviting you to do and challenging with is to think about the extension of faith. That it's okay and it's great to say, Lord, I hope in you. I have faith in you. I have faith. I have faith. And even though as I begin to study this, faith is not necessarily the same thing as trust. Trust is a whole nother dimension. Though they are closely related, it's a whole nother thing. So Lord, I'm hoping in this situation, but I'm trusting in the confidence I'm trusting in your promises. I'm trusting in the very thing that I'm hoping for. I have hope in this situation, but I'm trusting, I'm resting in that hope. I'm resting. You're carrying me. I might go through the waters, but you're gonna be with me. I may go through the rivers and they won't overwhelm me. I may go through the fire, but I will not get burned. How many of you ever felt like you went through the fire? You went through the storms, you went through the rivers, you went through the waters. His word says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Never. Never. That's a, that's a, there's nothing else that we could ever say about that. Never. Psalms 34. One, one more thing. I want to get this. Psalms 34 and 8. He says, oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. That's my prayer today, is that you will taste. The word see actually means in the Hebrew, it means to perceive, perceive. 
that you will perceive, that your perception of who God is in your life, that you will see him and you will know that he is good. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is a man who trusts in him. I think that our trust is also linked to how much we taste and we see how good he really is in our life. The more that we taste him, the more that we know his goodness is the more that we will be able to trust him. But we'll never know how good he is. We'll never know how good he is if we don't apply this to our lives. We'll never know.